You're listening to the Sunday Session Podcast with Francesca Rutkin from Newstalk ZB. All the highs and lows, talking the big issues of the week. The panel on the Sunday Session. And joining me on the panel today, I have editor and commentator Joe McCarroll. Hey, Joe. Hi, Francesca. And we're also joined by journalist and broadcaster Wilhelmina Shrimpton. Hey, Wilhelmina. Good morning. Good to have you both with us. Now, I started the show off this morning by talking about how excited I am at the thought of humans living in space, either on the moon or ultimately, you know, in time, Mars. It's all very exciting. But to spend $120 million US dollars to send a small spacecraft to the moon that then just topples over on its side, <laughs> is, is, is it really worth it, Joe? Well, I am reminded, this is quite an obscure reference, but do you know the spoken word poem, Whitey on the Moon? No. Well, I mean, do you? No, I've never heard of it. Oh, it's from about the 1970s, and it was sort of at the time of when the space program was taking place, and it, and the point was made that this was happening and all this money was being spent, and at the same time, race relations in America were in an absolutely perilous state. Criticising this as a sort of vanity project that's taking a huge amount of money and doesn't really address the real issues people are facing. And and it just feels such an incredibly prescient poem when we're seeing, you know, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and these billionaires who who seem to treat the space as, I don't know, I don't want to take away from the incredible brilliance and engineering and that has gone into it, but... I, I feel uncomfortable with it. It feels to me like it's not what's going to make a difference for most people. Well, it's really interesting you mentioned the private companies because it's the private companies which are a sort of um, revolutionising space exploration because they have the money and and are putting the money into the technology to, to enable them to do it more affordably. Like the governments couldn't really, um, as you say, justify the expense, Joe. But NASA has paid for this, um, Wilhelmina, and it just it feels like obviously we've got Japan, we've got China, we've got India, we've got mm. Russia. Everybody is keen to get to the moon and what concerns me is that there's going to be no regulation no management it's going to be like antarctica people are going to be flying past throwing flags out the window trying to claim <laughs> land and minerals and property you know a hundred percent you know we're naturally curious people but we're also naturally competitive so like you say it's going to be this race to, to for who can kind of dominate and take over and funnily enough you you mentioned india and, and this is the thing is it's there, is, there should be different priorities at the moment we're pouring all this cash into this right now but um, I was actually in India when they landed the Chandrayaan 3 last year in August and I was working in a newsroom over there and the excitement was palpable and it was you know they were leading the way and it was this this, this huge um, monumental occasion but then also you've got to think about the the other priorities back down on earth but I know that there are you know international space treaties at the moment so there's kind of this sort of governing laws that I guess are, are a loose guideline for, for what happens when we actually land on the moon but I wonder whether or not there's a need to, to establish some kind of lunar tribunal or a union like the EU ahead of this to make sure that we're actually approaching this as a collective and benefiting the whole world rather than just one country staking the claim and then dictating what happens with those natural minerals, those metals or whatever that we discover on the moon and, and taking charge of it because that could be a really dangerous thing. Yeah, I, would, I would agree with you, Wilhelmina. I think our track record is not good for showing up and sharing everything in order to the betterment of all of humanity. <laughs> mm, mm. 
No, it's a tr- it's a real tricky one, isn't it? Because I sort of I admire the vision and I love the the fact that you know there's all the, these technical advancements and that you know we, we I love the story, the narrative that kind of goes along with it. But you, you're both so right. It's sort of it's awkward. It just sits awkwardly with everything else going on in the, in, on, on Earth at the moment. And I think it's interesting that there is this renewed interest at a time of truly the most profound social inequality I've seen in my life. Mm. And it is exciting, though, because, you know, I guess we're, we're thinking about the long game, right? We're thinking about what kind of resources we can tap into because the resources on Earth currently are limited. So is there something else that we actually need to tap into in order to sustain us or power the world or, you know, those minerals can be used to, to, to provide electricity for the whole globe? So we're thinking about the long game, but then we've also got to look at the challenges in front of us and go, OK, well, can we prioritise this better? Can we do this in a way that we're not sacrificing the things we need to focus on now? But then also we're making some gains towards actually making some progress down the track when, you know, our natural resources on Earth do start running out. It's definitely a fine, delicate dance, isn't it? So let's just bring it back to Earth a little bit. If we just wanted to travel, <laughs> if we just wanted to travel around New Zealand, uh, you know, head from Wellington to Christchurch or something, Air New Zealand has kind of given us a bit of a heads up that domestic airfares are going to head up again. And they've given us, they've explained why. They've talked about the increase in operational costs and fuel prices and labour costs and things. Joe, are you happy to, 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 for those costs to be passed on to you and for it to be potentially even more expensive to travel around this rather small country? Look, I mean, I wouldn't say I was happy and I would say it will absolutely change my behaviour. You know, I think you won't um, take flights. You'll, you'll look at other options. You'll look at what you can do that you can drive to. You'll look at what you can do that is more local. But I do think it's possible that the golden age of cheap flying mm. is just over. I mean, I was thinking about this. So I went to Europe with some friends when I was 21, and that was about 25 years ago. And if I bought that ticket today, it would cost less. And that's not in terms of the value of money, but it would the dollar value I would pay would be less. And I just don't actually, I cannot think of another thing that would cost less today than it did 25 years ago. Mm. That's an interesting way of looking at it. Are you happy just to suck it up, Wilhelmina, or you be more? Will you be? Uh, you know, I think a lot of us have a great loyalty to our um, to our airline, our national airline. But would you be more tempted to look at competition? Oh, absolutely. I think you know that we are we're in the cost of living crisis. There's no avoiding that. People are trying to find ways to save money wherever they can. But also the reality is that the cost of living crisis affects people who, um, you know, are, are, are living um, up against it, but also big organisations who have a lot of money. And so like in New Zealand, so it's inevitable that that's going to be passed on to us. But I think this really highlights an overall issue around the duopoly that Jetstar and in New Zealand have around that domestic market particularly. You know, Jetstar office offers cheaper prices, yes, but perhaps if there was more competition, we'd be able to drive it down. Like I said, it's inevitable that it's going to keep increasing, but maybe we can make those increases a little bit less. Um, then it would be an easier pill to swallow. But I won't be deterred, but I'll definitely be disgruntled every time I book. I mean, I booked return flights to, to Blenheim over Christmas, and it was $700. And I thought, I could fly to Sydney for this. But... You know, you, you've got to go and see your family, so you just you just suck it up and do it. But um. well, your family would be thrilled with that, Wilhelmina. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm going to Sydney. Bye, guys. Yeah. No presents um, for you guys. Sorry. But actually, I've got a friend in Queenstown, and she said to me it's cheaper for us to meet in Melbourne than it is for her to come to Wales to fly to, you know, Queenstown. 
Yeah. So, you know. And that's the thing, more competition. I just think bringing in more airlines, but there's not really the foundations that allow someone to easily set up and it's a massive upfront cost. Well, it's also in terms of Yeah, it's also really interesting because I think that sometimes the competition has had a bit of a you know, their reputation hasn't been quite as reliable maybe as Air New Zealand's. Yeah. And this is a really good opportunity to step up and go, Do you know what? We are and we're cheaper and jump on board. You might have not wanted to use us in the past, but now's the time, Mm. and I think I'm probably going to put up my hand to be doing that, very much so. Hey, look, I just want to finish by one final thing. I'm sure that the two of you um, have much more exciting lives than I do and don't spend your Friday night sitting at home watching um, sport on television, but (laughs) I did notice on Friday night when I was watching the rugby, there was this how the game between the Chiefs and the Crusaders was being determined by this mouth guard now, which of course has this technology to um, tell you when a player has had a potential knock to the head and they head off for a, a concussion test. I think World Rugby is taking a step in the right direction in trying to find use technology to find a solution to protecting our players' brains without destroying the game as we know it. But surely we've got to get the technology right. Uh, Wilhelmina, did you, did you catch this story? Yeah, definitely. And like you say, it's a step in the right direction. It's really important that we're protecting the health and well-being of players but like with any new technology there's always going to be teething problems that need refinement and I know that there are a lot of issues last year in the WXV women's international rugby competition I think that's where it was first trialed and they just had way too many players being removed from the field Um, but they worked out that the receiver which receives the information from the mouth guards to the doctors on the sideline was way too far from the mouth guards on the field so that led to you know an error in actually reading that data properly and I I know that in Six Nations this year, they put that receiver on the main referee who is obviously running around after the action and as as close as you can possibly get to those particular tackles. So that reduced that margin of error. So I wonder whether if we actually brought that into the Super Rugby competition, placed the receiver on the referees, whether that would lead to less um, potential spikes or, or, or reduce that margin of error. But I definitely think it's 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 a great thing. You know, we're, we're concerned about... The, the health of, of our players and your know, concussions are a big thing. So I just think it's about ironing out those teething problems. A step in the right direction, Joe. Yeah, a step in the right direction. I mean, I think like Wilhelmina says, that technology needs to improve and it will improve and I think it will improve quickly. But I would say some version of this technology is here to stay and that is a good thing because we have to look at the long-term health consequences of, of repeated injuries to the, to the head. Thank you both so much for being with me today. That was Wilhelmina Shrimpton and Joe McCarroll. For more from the Sunday session with Francesca Rudkin, listen live to News Talk ZB from 9am Sunday or follow the podcast on iHeartRadio.